Hello and welcome. My name is Chris Rawl and it is Tuesday, August 17th. On today's show, the ongoing battle between expectations and reality for Rudy Gobert. Before we get there, we will start this show where we always start this show. One reason why gambling should be legal in every single state in the United States of America. I have bet the Virginia Tech football team at plus 900 to win the ACC Coastal. Now, I love betting teams in every single conference, so I have rooting interests to and fro. On September 3rd, Virginia Tech hosts North Carolina in their opener, a great interdivisional battle that is going to be awesome. I'm going to have now vested interest within this. Virginia Tech is a program. They have some great traditions that I love, playing Enter Sandman when everybody runs into the stadium. We all get hyped. We all jump around. It's a grand old time. More importantly, Virginia Tech has a long and storied history with turkeys. The nicknames in the past, instead of Hokies or Turkeys, they were called the Gobblers. They were called the Fighting Gobblers. They used to have turkeys pulling carts around, doing who knows what with them, but they were there and they were prominent. They brought turkeys out to do tricks. I don't know what they were. Maybe they were juggling. Maybe they were pulling silken kerchiefs out of a hat. Maybe they were pulling a rabbit out of a hat. I don't know, but I want it back. I'm now part of this Virginia Tech football program. I would love to grab the local wild turkeys here where I live and donate them to the program, let them loose on the field, have them boo when the opposing team scores touchdowns, have them cluck and gobble when Virginia Tech scores a touchdown. We have our number one reason why gambling should be legal in every single state in the USA, because it will give us the perfect, and I mean perfect, opportunity to honor these proud, noble birds by starting to call turkeys by their rightful name, gobblers. And now... Let's talk sports. Fair or not, the defining image of the Utah Jazz season is Rudy Gobert scrambling around in the second half of Utah's game six loss to the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, It kind of... It took away everything that came before it for pretty much everybody who followed the Utah Jazz season. The best regular season record, all great offense, the great defense, everything. The defining image and images became that. It was Terrence Mann losing his mind amidst this collective defensive breakdown on Utah's part. Uh, Just this complete collapse from the structure of their defense, which the spotlight on to Gobert, the guy who after each collapse would happen was caught between a rock and a hard place. I got to defend the key. I got to defend a quarter three. Uh, The Clippers are scoring 81 second half points as they're storming back from a 25 point deficit, seemingly in the blink of an eye. You remember the game, which luckily we now have had enough time to separate from. Um, and, And so it's easier to talk about in present day, just from a more logical perspective rather than the passion of the moment. If you remember that time, It was just the Los Angeles Clippers offense on repeat again and again and again. It was like watching a horror movie. It was like watching Saw where everybody has to cut their arm off, where the weird puppet who's two feet tall watches. It was one of those stories. Uh, And it was somehow more horrific if you were a jazz fan or if you valued the defensive structure of the jazz as an organization. You just watched it and felt helpless and powerless. It was one of the more maddening experiences that you could have if you were associated with the team, the same thing over and over and over and over. Now, I'm talking about it in present day because obviously I've had a lot more time to kind of stew and think about this particular game 
This particular defining set of images when it comes to Gobert and the Jazz defense as a whole. And I've had time to kind of make sense of what this means for the Jazz moving forward. Uh, and how do you balance the reality of what happened with your expectations for your team moving forward? A theme from yesterday's show. And it's also a great reminder as I was kind of re-watching this game and just doing some of the research and thinking for today's episode, it's a great reminder of the old NBA adage that the regular season is about your strengths and the playoffs is about your weaknesses. 100% true. Even I sometimes tend to not completely forget it, but in small portions, I forget it. And I'll get sucked into what's going on in the regular season. I go, maybe this points to something new. And then you watch in the playoffs and you go, hmm, I knew that there were foundational flaws, but I didn't necessarily want to engage with them until I saw them manifested within the playoffs. Last year, like I mentioned, the Jazz, they stormed to the best record in the league in the regular season. By net rating, I believe they're top five in offense and defense. Um, Their net rating as a team, it's the best in basketball. Really awesome, successful regular season for the franchise. And yet the playoffs the last few years and into this year, They've kind of pointed to some semi-obvious cracks within this defensive foundation of the organization. I want to read a quote from Seth Partnow of The Athletic to set the stage further for the discussion. The NBA playoffs can serve as a great separator. Every year, we relearn the lessons of just how big the difference can be between being effective during the grind of a long season and being able to perform against the higher level opposition in the intense detail-oriented arena of a postseason series, end quote. So I want to piggyback off of what I was talking about yesterday when it came to Nebraska football and their team and their fan base and the balance that every organization is always trying to find between the reality of what is in front of them and the expectation moving forward. Uh, And how do you use those two things in unison to build into a better self? For a lot of people, I think that Gobert has kind of come to symbolize this idea of an 82-game player versus a 16-game player. Playoff player, 16 games versus the regular season player, 82 games, right? Uh, And we've seen the foundation of an incredible regular season defense for a lot of years with Gobert as the backbone and a roster that doesn't necessarily have a lot of defensive talent elsewhere. We've seen him win three defensive players of the year like that. We've seen him get on, I think, five total now all-NBA defensive teams. Uh, so we've seen that. And yet, it's that same defense that, on a team level, has been exposed the last few years within the playoffs. You think back to last year, and, or two seasons ago, rather, and you remember the Jazz in the bubble against the Nuggets, And you remember Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray just relentlessly picking apart the Jazz defensive structure with pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll. Again, kind of that horror movie concept of I'm seeing the same thing over and over. Why does this person have to saw off their arm while the puppet watches? It was the same idea when you watched Jokic and Murray just roast the Jazz time after time after time. And then last year, as the Jazz are going down in flames, the last four games of that series against the Clippers after going up 2-0 in the series, they're doing it in a different way. They got the five-out attack. Uh, They're just spreading the Jazz out. They're attacking with space and isolation and then forcing the Jazz to react because they made a bet that the Jazz didn't have any individual defenders on their roster that could stay in front of 
first Kawhi and Paul George, and then Kawhi went down with injury, and it was Paul George and Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris and somehow Terrence Mann, players like this. They said, there's nobody on your roster who can stay in an isolation setting in front of these people. So your structure is going to crumble really fast as soon as we blow by you. And then who is going to be there caught between a rock and a hard place? Rudy Gobert. And nobody on planet Earth can cover the key and the corner three at the same time. And that's why we got to a point in the second half where we're watching the same thing on repeat and Gobert scrambling between the key and the corner three. And the Clippers are getting one of those two shots really open. Um, Even Memphis in the first round, they had success attacking Utah in the paint with John Morant and Dylan Brooks. Uh, The one place that Utah really believes that we should be able to defend this above all else because we have Gobert as that backbone. And yeah, we don't have a lot of great individual perimeter defenders, but we trust that we can defend this area specifically. Now, the difference in feeling between the Jazz as a regular season defense and the Jazz as a postseason defense when it comes to Gobert individually and especially when it comes to the Jazz defensive structure as a whole, it's vast. It's getting more vast by the season. Um, obviously after last year, it's, it's more than ever, you know? And so the jazz are kind of at this crossroads style moment where they're looking at the reality of what we've seen play out in the regular season versus the playoffs. And they're kind of asking questions. What does this mean? So I want to rewind to the end of last regular season and read some stuff when it comes to Gobert, because I think the tendency is always to be the prisoner of the moment and think about the most recent thing that happened. And so that's why we're having a discussion right now about Gobert as an 82-game player versus a 16-game player. And it's easy to forget his value that he provides as an 82-game player and how much of the blame for the 16-game failures, those postseason failures, are on his shoulders. So I'm going to read some quotes from Zach Lowe. And again, this was written after the regular season, before the playoffs had began, as Gobert was on his way to winning his third defensive player of the year. And a lot of people were writing and speaking about him in glowing terms, including a lot of people that I really value as basketball writers. So these quotes come from Zach Lowe of ESPN. Gobert is more than just a defender. He is a one-man defensive architecture. Even amid the ongoing three-point deluge, the most valuable real estate is the area around the basket. Gobert obliterates it, sometimes in ways you barely notice. And then he goes on to say, Gobert has been among the very best defenders on isolations, most of which come against perimeter players after switches. Opposing scores have averaged only .794 points when they shoot out of isolations against Gobert or pass to a teammate who fires, 13th lowest among more than 200 defenders who have faced at least 75 isos per second spectrum. And again, he continues, The regular season is a mega sample. Bit by bit, possession by possession, Gobert tilts the math more toward his team over that mega sample than any rival. Utah allows 101.6 points per 100 possessions with Gobert on the floor and almost 113 when he rests. The first number would lead all teams by a mile. The second would rank around 21st. Whether you care or not, the advanced stats have Gobert by a mile. Individually, those stats are of questionable value. If they all scream the same thing, you should at least include them as one factor, end quote. So we kind of set the stage for this expectation versus reality discussion moving forward because we live in a world where Gobert and the Jazz defensive structure as a whole 
has been one of the very best in the league for a lot of regular seasons in a row. We also live in a world where the last two playoff years and even extending back into some of those Houston series, the Jazz as a whole, when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, and Gobert because he's put in certain situations that it's not realistic to ask anybody to defend, they have struggled. That's the world that we currently live in. And the longer that I've had to kind of separate from this Clippers loss and just the total meltdown that went into the second half of game six, kind of the microcosm of these structural flaws that teams can nitpick at, whether Jokic and Murray in the pick and roll or the Clippers in their five-out attack. I really started thinking about Utah's roster as a whole when it comes to playing defense. Those of you who listen to the show, you know that I'm consistently thinking about things in terms of the whole picture. And I think a lot of times we like to circle in on the most noticeable star or figure within a defense or offense or organization. And those tend to be the people who carry the brunt of uh, the accolades or the criticism. And I think it's always kind of a, a larger picture that goes into a defense as a whole, an offense as a whole, or an organization. So when it comes to the Jazz and playing defense, and I've had more time to separate, I've really had time to think about the roster and what was going into this second half breakdown um, and how the Jazz on the perimeter, they don't really have anybody equipped to defend in isolation. You have Mike Conley, you have Donovan Mitchell, you have Jordan Clarkson, you have Joe Ingles, you have Boyan Bogdanovich, you have Royce O'Neal. Uh, and none of these people, at least in my time watching the Utah Jazz, none of these people have shown the ability to consistently stay in front of a smart and capable isolation offensive player. Uh, the second half of game six, it's the ultimate manifestation of this. It's kind of matador defense from any and all of these defenders. Just a continual assault from one isolation player. Again, Reggie Jackson. Marcus Morris or Paul George, and it was a blow-by, 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 Matador defense. And then you have Gobert in the key, trying to guard that, trying to guard the corner three, as I mentioned before. Gobert kind of has to bite the bullet as he's extended out into a place that nobody can actually defend. Two, two places that are really far away from one another that the opposing offense is saying, we want one of those two shots. Two most efficient shots in basketball right now, open corner threes, and right at the rim. And we're going to get one of those continually because the Jazz can't guard us on the perimeter. So a lot of the individual criticism of Gobert, um, it's not to say he is the greatest defender ever and there's nothing that he could do differently ever when it comes to playing defense. I, I don't think that's true. But a lot of the individual criticism when it comes to him playing defense, especially within the roster that has been constructed around him, might not be as warranted as it was at first glance. But... Rather, the concentration on how Utah has chosen to build a defensive structure, and some of that because their hand is forced, because they have Gobert on their roster, and because that has already shown a lot of value within the regular season, uh, that raises a lot of questions that might be a little bit more valid. Um, and it also raises a lot of questions when it comes to just basketball theory and individual players of how valuable one individual defender can actually be within a playoff series especially if his teammates around him are below average. I think those are all valid questions. And I think maybe my tendency before was to think, yeah, if you have one awesome individual defender, that can carry you a long way defensively within a playoff series. And now I don't necessarily think 
that's as true as it is on the offensive side of the ball. I think you can piecemeal together an offensive attack if you have one Steph Curry or one Damian Lillard or one player of that caliber on offense. But defense, it might be a whole different set of issues if you're just trying to have one otherworldly defender and a lot of subpar pieces around him. Now, as I think about expectations and as I think about reality, I also understand that within the world of sports, expectations always exist for your best players. They should. That's how you go about improving yourself. And so if you're Rudy Gobert, if you're the Jazz, if you're a fan of either of these people, you go, what can you do better as an individual? How are you going to improve the team and try to not fall into the patterns of the past when it comes to the playoffs and when it comes to the Jazz? And one of the most frustrating parts for me when I go back and watch uh, the Jazz go down in flames against the Clippers And especially in retrospect, but I also felt this at the time, and especially as I watched the following series, and the Suns were having a lot of success against the Clippers in ways that the Jazz could not. I think about Gobert and his impact on the offensive side of the ball, which it's not his bread and butter, but there are things that he can do on that side of the ball a lot better that I think could have more positively impacted that Clipper series. And I especially felt this way as I watched Gobert play in the Olympics over the summer for Team France. And especially as I watched him in the gold medal game against the United States when they were playing a lot more smallish style lineups. And France made a concerted effort to say, Gobert, you have to be aggressive. When we're on offense, you just got to try and play bully ball. And I know your bread and butter is not to get the ball in the post. You're not going to throw a dream shake and hit a little jump hook. You're not going to hit a bunch of Tim Duncan 15-foot bank shot jumpers. But you need to be aggressive and you need to go at the rim and you need to use your size and your power advantage against a team that is playing smaller. And he did that to his credit within the gold medal game. And he forced the issue. Now, it didn't mean that France won because they had a large talent deficit, but it was a very competitive game. France ends up covering the spread within that. It's a game into the last few minutes of the fourth quarter. And it really got me thinking of why this wasn't happening within the Clippers series, especially when Kawhi got injured and Ty Lue and that coaching staff said, we are going all in on playing small ball. Zubats, you're on the bench and we're just going to run these five players or seven players, whatever their rotation was at the time, but they're all going to be longer athletic players that can attack in isolation. And if you can't punish that on the offensive side of the ball, great. We are going to win these games, which is how it played out. Uh, as we watched the following round and the Suns were beating the Clippers and a lot of people were heaping praise on DeAndre Ayton, deservedly so, I think a lot of questions from Jazz fans surrounded Gobert on the offensive side of the ball. And Ayton has a lot more diverse offensive game. So put that aside. But just the willingness to go at the basket and especially the willingness on the offensive side to continually crash the offensive glass, that was very noticeable from DeAndre Ayton. And it forced the Clippers' hands to, they couldn't just play 48 minutes of small ball. And indeed, they played Zubats a lot more in that series until he got injured because they were getting swamped by Aiton, by this aggressiveness of, on offense, I have to make an impact somehow because I'm the biggest player on the floor. And it's not going to be shooting 30-foot threes or just setting a pick up top and kind of mosing around. I'm going to use my size and I'm going to use my power. And I'm going to go and make this team pay for playing a small lineup. And I think when it comes to expectations, that's reasonable for Gobert on that side of the ball, especially in a playoff series against a smaller lineup. 
when they're trying to maximize their advantage of speed and attack in isolation, one that will definitely, as it showed in the playoffs last year, stress the structure of the Jazz defense, well, you have to respond accordingly if you're going to play that same lineup. And so one of the ways that you can respond, it's on the other side of the ball, and it's maximizing your advantage when it comes to size. So I want to read something else um, that comes from Seth Partnow of The Athletic that pertains to Rudy Gobert and kind of what went into this playoff series loss and also what you should expect as an organization when he is one of your very best players. When a player scores from the corners, either on jumpers or drives to the basket, it is often the case that the defender most culpable is not the player assigned to the score from a matchup sense. Terrence Mann's opportunities in that series came as a result of constant breakdowns from Utah's point-of-attack defenders that required Gobert to sprint to defend the rim and then sprint back to Mann in the corner. Very few elite rim protectors are even physically capable of accomplishing both tasks on the same play to begin with. But Gobert can, and as a result, Utah has been able to build elite defenses despite a collection of wings and forwards who are among the least athletic in the league, in Boyan Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, and George Nyang. Blaming Gobert for playoff defensive struggles is a bit odd, as it is essentially argued that because he covers up so many mistakes, he allows Utah to make errors in team building that cost it in the playoffs. Gobert is too good defensively, in other words. Still, it is more difficult to build around Gobert than some other top players, if only because so much of Utah's resources are tied up for a player with such limited creation ability. It's hard to add that skill at an elite level. Though maybe if Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley can make it to the playoffs fully healthy, that will be enough. So we circle back to the theme of the show. Again, expectations against reality. Reality is the Jazz are a small market team, and they have to build in a different manner than larger market teams have the ability to build. Uh, One of those is if you have players on your roster that have the potential to be stars, you do everything in your power to keep them. Even if their flaws or the way that you have to build around them, it's harder because it is really hard to get star level talent to a place like Utah. Usually you have to draft that and develop that and nurture that as the Jazz have done with Gobert and Mitchell on their roster. And so the Jazz are in a way caught between a rock and a hard place themselves because in an ideal world, you would go, well, why isn't Rudy Gobert, just LeBron James or Kevin Durant. And and yeah, everybody would agree. That would be the style of star that you would love to build your roster around. The Jazz don't have the ability to do that. Uh, And instead, they have to draft, develop, nurture, and get Gobert to a point where he is a star, get Donovan Mitchell to a point where he is a star, and then say, okay, how do we maximize this roster around these two players? And, And as part now saying within that quote, a part that I really agree with. Gobert provides an incredible backbone to one of the very best defensive uh, or one of the very best regular season defenses every single year. That is a great, great, valuable commodity. Now, it's also hard to build around a player like that because individual defenders within a playoff series, especially on a roster that is not that great when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, the impact seems to be limited. And also, the creation and scoring ability of Gobert is very limited. Um, And so you have to dedicate resources in other areas to flush that part of your roster out, which in the Jazz's case means we have a lot of that, 
but maybe we don't have the style of perimeter defense that we need around Rudy Gobert. Again, it's a cop between a rock and a hard place scenario. Uh, the Jazz go out. They make some offseason changes this year. Some that I, I think a lot of people who follow the NBA and the Jazz, they like. You know, it's Rudy, Go- or it's Rudy Gay coming in. It's Eric Pascal. It's Hassan Whiteside. It's drafting Jared Butler. Uh, George Yang and Derek Favors, they go out the door. And that's fine. I think this gives tweaks in the ability to play different lineups, uh, a little bit different looks when it comes to the personnel you have on the court. But ultimately, this Jazz core, it's the same. You'll be running back the same core and the same concepts because you still have Mike Conley, who you resigned. You still have Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and Joe Ingles and Boyan Bogdanovich and Jordan Clarkson. The foundation of the best regular season team in basketball last year. And so we know the expectation and the reality of Gobert in the regular season. Just remember all the Zach Lowe quotes that I read. The question moving forward is, what is the expectation of him individually in the playoffs? As an individual defender on this specific Jazz roster, what is the Utah Jazz expectation of the way that they actually play defense with a roster filled with a lot of below-average perimeter defenders? These are the questions that you ask within the offseason. And you hope that you can find answers to, and if you can't, well, so be it. Maybe you're going to crash and burn in the second round again against a team that's really equipped to nitpick those particular flaws within the way that you play defense. Um, For the Jazz, is it as simple as what Seth Partnow says? Is it as simple as just believing that a lot of these questions might not matter if Mitchell and Conley are healthy and creating offense at their normal levels? Maybe. I recorded a lot of shows throughout the NBA playoffs saying this year was very unique and there was a lot of weird stuff surrounding COVID and injuries and all of the weird margins that make up who can actually win a playoff series. There was a lot of weird stuff that went into that. And so there's a lot of teams sitting at home, including the Utah Jazz, that say, if you changed just a small thing, if you just said Mike Hamstring's or Mike Conley's hamstring doesn't pop in game five against Memphis and Donovan Mitchell doesn't roll his ankle uh, with a month to go in the regular season and come back on that same ankle kind of hampered, maybe we're the ones that are playing in the Western Conference Finals and maybe we're beating Phoenix and maybe we're playing the Bucks, and maybe we're beating them. I think a lot of teams are believing in that logic. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Because if you put yourself in position enough, you can win an NBA championship. On the flip side of that logic, is it foolish to believe that, to believe and expect that both Mitchell, who is a smaller guard, and Conley, who is a smaller guard with a very lengthy injury history, is it foolish to expect both of these players to be healthy come playoff time? Maybe. Uh, I think there's. A lot of stuff in the past, especially when it comes to Conley, that it's really hard to rely on him being fully healthy and able to create and score at the level that we know he can do when he's both of those things in the playoffs, maybe. Uh, But you just kind of have to trust in some of that stuff. Again, building an NBA team is really hard. Building an NBA team in a smaller market is even harder. And so you're going to have a lot of things that go into that construct that say... We're just going to have to leave that up to chance and that up to chance and that up to chance. And maybe we have or 75% more things that we're relying upon chance than the Lakers or the Nets. So be it. That's the way of the world when you're a small market team in a large market world. Um, but last, when we go back to expectations and reality and the questions that surround both 
Rudy Gobert is a player and the Jazz is an organization and how they're seeking improvement on both of those levels. It's the most complex question and one that I've kind of circled around this entire show. What can you expect from Gobert himself within a playoff series? Defensively and offensively. Very important to include both of those categories because I don't necessarily think that we always concentrate or I don't necessarily think that we expect things from Gobert on offense that maybe he could provide depending upon the personnel that's on the opposing side. Um, And then when it comes to these questions, most importantly, based upon what we've seen from him in the past and the way that the current Jazz roster has been built, what is realistic? 